Yo everybody, welcome back to brand new Techish. I'm Michael Bahain, the CEO of peopleofcolorintech.com and this is the part where Abadesi normally comes in but she's in San Francisco, can you believe it? She's actually doing her thing working on a new startup called Alpha which is this really awesome women in tech platform. She'll be back next week, don't be upset and also this whole episode does feature her because what we did, we recorded something last week which is all about kind of our lessons that we learn as entrepreneurs in the game for the last three to four years and we go in deep in this one this ain't no shallow episode we go this is a real heart to heart it gets emotional a couple points in the episode <laughs> i'm uh let our sponsors take it away and then enjoy the rest of mine and abadesi's heart to heart and catch you next week with our regular episode where both of us will be here and ciao michael and i both know how hard it is starting out as first-time founders with a limited network and little access to capital that's why we want to thank one tech for sponsoring this episode of techish they are doing fantastic work supporting underrepresented tech founders in London, helping to change the face of startups in the city. One of their main goals is to double the number of female and black and minority ethnic-led tech startups raising investment through their parent entity, Capital Enterprise. They do this by connecting underrepresented entrepreneurs together and supporting them via mentorship, workspace, access to pre-accelerators and helping them get investment ready. So if you're in London, just starting out and in need of support, go to weareonetech.org and apply now. And tell them take a shit. <laughs> Blockstack is an open source network and development platform that makes it easy to build decentralized apps that can scale today. With Blockstack, users own and are in control of their information. And you know we care a lot about privacy at Techish. Yep, we do. And they're running a program called App Mining that rewards developers building apps on their platform, paying out 100k each month across all registered apps. Explore more about the program by going to app.co forward slash mining. You've been doing this entrepreneurship thing for how many years now? Uh, two and a bit. Two and yeah. a bit years. And before that, you were working like just corporate. like time. Corporate tech and stuff working like that. Mix and match. <laughs> That's such a lie as well. Because in tech, it's like working nine to nine. Nine to nine. Six days a week. <laughs> like nine to five money. <laughs> so what do you wish you knew before you started out on that journey? Like what's entrepreneurship. The one thing, yeah. What's the one thing or a few things that have shocked you the most or just mm. thought like, mm, I, I didn't think it was like that. I think... Specifically as like a woman of color, um, one of the things that I really underestimated was how much people would doubt me yeah. in, in the space that we operate in. Because yeah. when I started Hustle Crew in 2016, like Me Too hadn't taken off at the way that it had. I think w one of the things that um, I would do differently is going in with that awareness that the ecosystem in which I'm operating in does not represent me and doesn't necessarily understand the problem that I'm working on. Yeah. And I would not internalize the negativity and the objections as much. Mm. When I was, when I started Hustle Crew in 2016, I really strongly felt and believed that there was a business case for investing in diversity and inclusion, mm. that companies would want to invest in workshops, training, community mm. to support women and underrepresented people in their in their organizations mm. create a pipeline of people elevate people to these positions of leadership boom 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 but this was like before the me too movement had really blown up mm. and we've had all these like high profile lawsuits like oracle and all these big cases so i was just quite early to be honest and mm. i think there were so many times in that first year where I could have quit had mm. it not been for knowing people like you working on people of color Aww, and tech thanks. and knowing 
knowing other things that were sort of happening, Andy, I am writing about this all the time. Like there were enough indicators for me to feel like something is simmering. It's not boiling, Mm. but it's simmering. So I think the first thing to acknowledge is like basically the power of timing. And if you feel you are early, then you really need to distinguish between like being early and just having a bad idea. Yeah. If that makes early, sense. Either early or wrong, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that I acknowledge. And then I think the second thing that um, I really learn and I would like do differently is just remembering that like not all advice is created equal. Oh, I feel like being Preach. a... Right? Because I feel like being a first-time entrepreneur, so I started Hustle Career, I was 29. Yeah. I, I, that's still young, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm st- we're still young. I'm still young. I'm only two years in. As some of the people I admire are like 10 years deep, 20 <laughs> years deep into their startup game or their entrepreneurship game. And I would speak to people because they were older than me or they'd had exits or they'd been around longer. Yeah. And I would be like okay, what should I do to grow my community faster? What should I do to get my community engaging more? What should I do? What kind of content should I focus on? This, this, and that. And every conversation would reach a different outcome. Yeah. And I was so confused. I'd be like, they said I shouldn't do that. You're saying I should do that. Yeah. And that's when I just started to realize, well, let me actually think about who my target audience is and who really relates to the problem I'm solving. And I'm going to give that advice the people that share those qualities i'm going to put their advice on a higher pedestal yeah than people whose experiences doesn't like align as closely what do you think um i think especially the bit about advice like i've had so much bad advice like it's insane (laughs) like i've had people tell me like what are you working on like just this is never going to be a business like shut it down um I've had people who I've worked with and that I respect that are really competent in their specific field and have even started companies and done really well. And they're like, nobody's going to want a hiring platform that's just based purely on diversity. Like nobody's going to want that. Because they, in their world, they didn't see a need for it. So they're assuming that everybody is the same as them. And um, you kind of have to be like a mad scientist in the sense that you have to test and experiment and see. Mm. I might have a, you might come to me and ask me for my advice on your business idea. And my gut might tell me, Everything in my experience tells me this ain't going to run. But until you've done an experiment and seen for yourself, you don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? And I had to go out there and I had real market demand for what we were offering. And I was like, well, I have this demand. I'm going to go for it. Um, So always try to do tests and experiment and see like, you know, find out, is that sound advice? Because it might not be. It Mm. probably isn't. Um, I don't say it probably isn't, but there's a good chance it isn't. The other thing for me is I realized how much of it is about managing your psychology wow yeah Yeah. and i didn't realize it was like that i really thought yeah you go out there you sell you do this you hustle you code and it's all good but a lot of it is making sure that you stay okay and you don't fall before the finish line Mm. that makes any sense so um i mentioned before how sometimes i have to like mute competition because i was i was talking to my girlfriend i was like oh my god like these people are doing this. They're entering the space. They're going to annihilate me. They've raised this much money. Mm. Like I am finished. Mm. And you know, luckily I had good people around and she was like, well, are you doing the best that you can do? I was like, well, I could be doing better work. I could be doing better quality articles. I could be doing this. Focus on that. Do people, do people like what you're doing? Yeah. Then keep going. Mm. And you know, as much as having good people around you, it's also important. You have to try to have that internal monologue so that you oh, always yeah. remember, am I doing the best that I can do? Because if you are, that's all that matters. And you might not win. Yeah. It's difficult. This ain't, this ain't a game. Like the, the odds are slim. We're all here in the casino, like yeah. trying to bet on black here. Let's keep it 100. Statistically <laughs> speaking, but we're, do, we're here because it's fun. Basically like a casino, it's fun. I'm joking. I'm no, but, but I love that point. I was like, going to say that like, 
you're so right. I started out thinking I'm battling the world. Yeah. And what I've learned is I'm also battling myself. Yeah. Breach. Uh, the other point I wanted to raise, which is something that I would definitely do differently, is sharing a vulnerable story yeah. from the beginning. I yeah. think one of the things that I love about this podcast and the conversations we have with each other and with other founders in our community is how much trust is in the room that we can just open up and mm. talk to each other. And one mm. of the most popular episodes we've ever done, the one that people will always talk to me about is the one where we talked about the mental health challenges mm. of being a solo founder and that social anxiety that came with that, not wanting yeah. to talk about the business, not wanting yeah. to go outside in case someone asks you how you are and uh, you are afraid to answer I'm the question. I'm getting traumatized just talking about the conversation again. No, right? I think that is how people connect with us and those are the people that will sponsor us and promote us and amplify us. And that's so powerful. At the beginning of hustle crew i was so shy to share the true reasons why i started hustle crew one i was kind of ashamed i was like i don't really want to talk openly about the fact that i felt discriminated against and i was discriminated against mm. i don't want to talk openly about the sexist remarks i heard the racist behavior that people did but you know as time went on i did my creative morning talk and i was like yeah people used to touch my hair mm. without my permission mm. someone literally said your hair is like a stress ball can i squeeze it and I was like, Lord is this my life? Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the power that I put out into the world by sharing those stories is that someone else that can relate to that no longer feels alone mm. and, and now feels like validated. And it's like, okay, fine. I'm not crazy. Mm. I'm not the only one. This is a real thing. This is a real problem that's happening outside of me. This is not my fault. And I can move on from this. So that was another thing that I do differently. I would just be so brash. Yeah. I would I'm not be shy. Yeah. I would not be shy you get better at prioritizing you get yeah. better at i'm not saying i'm perfect by the way but i do feel that i've gotten a lot better at understanding like what i should actually give headspace and energy to yeah. and what is something that like just get it done or just defer it to later yeah i meet so many founders that are like obsessing over every little thing and like don't get me wrong it's important to put attention in the details and it's important to like be deliberate in everything that you do but if you put like a hundred percent energy analysis and everything into every single action you're going to burn out i think me personally one thing i always struggle with is ego and this is really me opening up because mm. i've like i resist sometimes working with people i resist sometimes um you know in fact actually part of the reasons why i became an entrepreneur was because this sounds so petty but i got shushed in a meeting once <laughs> we were having a meeting and the boss was like shh I was just like, oh, that's it, I'm leaving. That's it, I'm out of here. <laughs> I was like, that's it, I'm out of here. Like, yeah. and That is so annoying though. That is very annoying. We don't get twisted, but that's not leave your job annoying. Some people, <laughs> not everyone's going to often leave their job and be like, that's it, like, I'm going to go off and, and start my company and, mm. like, sc and screw these guys and whatever. Like, and if I asked the person who did it, they wouldn't even remember it. Mm. That's the thing, right? I had imbued that with some, some, or some giant narrative about my career and I just took it in a way. I was like, yeah, that's it, I'm off. And, um, and sometimes, yeah, like, you can miss out on great opportunities also though if you let your ego get in the way. Like I've applied for certain things and like I didn't get in the first time, certain fellowships, certain things. And I was like, forget these guys, don't they know who I am? That's the internal battle I have. And then I'm like, no, calm down. This could still work out for you. This could still be great. It could still be a win-win as much as I hate the phrase win-win. It could yeah. still be a win-win. Like apply anyway. Um, and like, you know, emailing somebody and getting ignored, emailing a, a potential investor and getting ignored, email, e emailing a, a potential client and getting ignored. Like those type of things actually used to grate me a lot. I used to get really down and be like, oh man, but like, don't they know what we could do and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, it's not personal. Yeah. You know who I learned from? You're going to laugh. Who? DJ Khaled. 
Nice. I saw an interview with DJ Khaled because he was notorious for getting features. Yeah. People were like, how have you got Jay-Z on your track? Like, you're just a DJ. Like, if you ask 90% of people, what does DJ Khaled do? Most of them would be like, I don't have a, f- I don't have a clue. Like, he's the guy that shouts in front of the record. Yeah. But what he, uh, and I was a fan of his from years ago because what, what he's the best at is getting features. And he is just relentless with asking. He is relentless just being like, he doesn't care about his ego. He'll be like, Jay, do you want to come on this track? He'll be getting ignored for four years. Then eventually he'll get to the level where he's successful enough where Jay-Z will look at him and be like, all right, I'm ready. Okay, you're at the right, the right level now. And I learned a lot from that because I was like, yeah, like, don't take it personal. Bide your time. Bide your time. Don't take it personal. Um, one last point I'll make actually about why, you know, kind of wish I knew beforehand and what I wish I learned earlier was that it really is all about like spotting amazing talent. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes you'll see somebody who's really good at something and they don't necessarily know how good they are. Yeah. And like, if you're a startup bootstrap founder, you really need to have that skill honed because mm. you're not going to be able to afford to pay top dollar for like the engineer who's already at Facebook or Google who's mm. earning six figures. For example, even this podcast, like I remember I went to your Hustle Crew um, book anniversary. Yeah. And I saw you speak. I was like, right, Abba's really good at speaking and really like thing, but I don't think she kind of knows like how good she actually is. Like, and I was I like, I came up to you, I was like, yo fam, you could be like Oprah, like what are you doing? Like, <laughs> so that's why I was like, if I, when I had the idea for the podcast, I was like, Definitely, I'm gonna holler at Abba kind of thing. Like, thanks, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, come on. You know, you got you got to give credit where credit's due. You're all right. <laughs> you know? So, like, that's just one example. I don't. I know we're saying ego and be humble, but like, we pat ourselves on the back. Like, we've done something okay with this podcast kind of thing. And if I was somebody who you know had my head down and was like, I could do it all myself, and you know, um, I only want to work with established people or whoever, somebody who's out there and already super successful. Like, we wouldn't be here kind of thing. That's true. You You're almost I mean? closing. Sometimes your ego. Well. If not always, your ego is closing opportunities off. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, the, um, ego is the enemy of that book. Yeah. The other thing that I really wanted to say um, is the power of patience. Yeah, like, do thought. not underestimate the power of patience. I feel like in the first few months of Hustle Core, I was so impatient. I was like, where's my funding? Where's my accelerator? Where's my incubator? Where's my Forbes 30 under 30? Like, where's my YC? Like, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I was just like, this is the checklist of status yeah. and achievements. And yeah. if I'm not hitting these milestones, what's the point? I'm a failure. Yeah. I'm a fraud. And my, <laughs> I almost laugh to think about that person that I was yeah, because it was so naive and it was just focusing on all of the wrong things. And I think for me now, like I'm all about the long game. I'm all about the long game. And, you know, I'm 31 now. Um, I'm going to be 32 soon. Auntie. I know, right? It's, I mean, it's crazy. People always always like, oh, I thought you were 20 something. I'm like, thanks, black Black don't crack. But (laughs) for realsies, (laughs) <laughs> I've been in the game a while. You yeah. know, I, Groupon was my first tech job. That was 2011. Some yeah. of you listening were still in school then, I'm guessing, Some of you right? diapers like... <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I'm not that old. But it's, it, it's all compounding over time. So Completely. if that opportunity hasn't come yet, maybe you're not ready. Yeah. Maybe you're not ready to make the most of it. And that's okay because when you are, you're going to blow it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Like the time difference between being an intern at the FT... And then being in the FT was almost 10 years, right? That's crazy. Like, um, yeah, you're right. Patience is king. Patience is king. Like, people come up to me and they're like, oh, Michael, what are you working on now? Like, I'm like, I'm still working on, like, pocket. <laughs> like, and they're like, and tech and stuff. They're like, oh, okay. But these are normally people that have, like, stable careers. And I think you don't realize just how the power of compounding and just, like, all good things, like you said, take time. And we're now, like, reaping the rewards 
of you know this podcast and with pocket i'm reaping the rewards of what we put in for like three four years and mm. now it's finally getting to a stage where i'm like whoa like this could be a real company now after all these years of maybe it might be and but to the external person it's like or if you haven't sold your company within two years or if you are still working on this project like what are you doing and it's like no don't listen to that patience is king the difficult part is knowing when to drop something that isn't working full stop and yes. i've been there where i've had companies where it's not working at all like i yeah. started com- my first company just completely bombed and i had to make that hard decision of like okay cool like yeah um you know this, like, shut it down and yeah. i think what i learned from you actually is because what you did um with hustle crew which is that you went back to product hunt or you went to product hunt and still kept hustle crew on the side and like you know, and eventually one day you might be able to go back. The thing that I did wrong, I think the first time around was that I just shut everything down. I was so down and out because it wasn't where I thought it would be. I just went and got a job and I was like, that's it, I'm done. And it took me a while until I got shushed, basically, in that (laughs) meeting for me to be like, no, that's it. I'm going back into it. I'm throwing my hat back in the ring. This ain't me. Um, So yeah, the benefit of patience, the benefit of doing things on the side until things are ready. Adapt and survive. Yeah. I could never kill... Hustle Crew or what Hustle Crew stands for because it's something that's so personal to me and something that I believe in so strongly. And I dream of the day that there doesn't need to be a Hustle Crew, right? I dream of the day I walk into the Google offices, Facebook office or any little startup here in London and looking back at me as 50% women, LGBTQI people, disabled people, Muslim people, black people, Asian people. I want that team to look like this city, right? And, And everything else. And until that happens, like I'll always find a way to to do this and like further this mission. And I think adapt and survive, adapt and survive. Like if it doesn't make sense to do it full time, then do it part time. And if it doesn't make sense to do it in this iteration, remember Hustle Crew started yeah. B2C coaching platform subscription business. Yeah. And we got into an accelerator on the premise that we would create an AI, AI powered careers content platform, right? <laughs> now You've Hustle Crew- You've always got to AI to everything. Yeah, exactly. more investable. I mean, it's a B2B company now, right? It's yeah. like a trading company now. We have a community, we don't monetize that. So you know, pockets evolved as well. Like you're constantly adding new features to the platform. You're yeah. constantly expanding the offering. So it's adapting. That's I mean, the ultimate. So uh, a, a BuzzFeed article went viral, making waves across the internet, describing millennials as the burnout generation. Mm. It opens with um, expressing the challenges of completing like seemingly trivial tasks, like filling out voter registration forms, etc. Right. Because we're always burdened by what feels like a never-ending to-do list while yeah. still lacking true financial security as a yeah. result of growing up in the recession and just generally living in quite economic and politically uncertain times, the erosion of public services, etc. So we right. don't necessarily have that nest that our parents did and previous generations did. Um, I think the reason why it resonated with so many people was because a lot of the times, you know, millennials and, you know, by millennials, I mean, you know, people who roughly aged like what, 22 to like 37, 38, something right. like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, millennials so are people getting old, just, boy. Don't yeah, I know. I'm, like, I'm one of them. You're millennials. Aging. <laughs> but, you know, this idea of like people born in this era, like going through the same moments in history together, entering mm. adulthood t- together, have um, never really been able to in a way kind of like define their experience and define their struggle. Like there are certain mm. phrases that have been coined for this generation, like quarter life crisis and stuff yeah. like that. But it was the first time someone kind of did like a more sociological examination of it, which I thought was really right. interesting. So the poet Tiana Clark, a black American woman, wrote her own response to this, which was also published on BuzzFeed. And it was a really, really um, fascinating response in the sense that she says that what is described in that article written by a white woman is a sense of tiredness that Black Americans have felt 
for generations mm. and literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, beginning with the trauma of arriving on a slave ship mm. and, you know, entering into the present day where they are still regarded as second-class citizens by mm. the society, mm. that their, you know, ancestors and forefathers died. And built. At, to build. Yeah. Um, so I think what I loved about that response is the reminder that one must always be like intersectional in how they approach any examination of society. Mm. And remember that you will never be able to truly empathize with the experiences of someone of another identity because you have not experienced like the structures of society and structural oppression in the way that they have. You might have read about it, Completely. but you just don't know. Um, so if you haven't read uh, Tiana's article, please do uh, read both of them. They're both amazing. Share them with your friends, have a debate, have a discussion. These are issues which are affecting us. And unless we name them, we can't find a way to like understand them and overcome mm, them and mm. mitigate against them. Mm. What do you think could be done? Do you all know how millennials have been, you know, stuck with an economy where there's no real like rising wages? Mm. You can't really get on a property ladder. Um, and obviously, if you're black, it's compounded by other things where you know you're afraid of the police, or you know, even I had an experience where I was overseas. I was in Wales. I was going to say overseas, but it kind of was like I was overseas. Like, <laughs> so, anyways, I'm going into a store now, and I'm like, okay, let me like take off my hood because I don't want them to get scared. Yeah, and like that kind of mental baggage of just having to constantly worry oh, about yeah. how you're perceived, like even and I, and like I can't imagine what it's like to not have that fear, not even that not fear, but not to have that mental circuitry of just like how am I being perceived right now? Oh, of course, because I don't want to come across as like thing. And sometimes you put that inflection in your voice where you're like, "Hey, uh, so that people don't get yeah, scared." Yeah, like, yeah. And this is exactly what yeah, the and, that, talked and about. that's compounding on top of the economic situation. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously, not every community has you can't go to their parents and just be like, "Yo, I want to buy a house. Can you give me X, Y, and Z?" and um, and if that upwardly mobile white generation or demographic is suffering, it's, it's even it's, worse. It's quadruply compounded. <laughs> but, but this is the point that Tiana makes where she's saying that, um, you know, if that's how you feel as like a more privileged group of society, how do you think it is for us? Mm. You know, when we are disproportionately at the behest of all these institutions and it's harder for us to get a loan and it's harder for us to get a job and like, you know, we know that bias is real, conscious, unconscious, whatever, it's there. Look at the numbers we're not rising we're not represented right um so i i think oh so what's the solution like well one obviously awareness please let's have a conversation let's talk about it sometimes people are wondering you know why it is that there aren't that many black people in their team well have you created an environment in which black people can thrive have you taken the care to educate yourselves on you know where where black people are in terms of like recruiting them or like what they want in terms of like their values have you even like created compensation packages that suit the reality of being a mm. black person these are the questions you need to be asking yourselves mm. in your teams and in your organizations and acknowledging that the experiences of you know one person isn't necessarily the experiences of another especially if they're of different races and then i think the second thing which tiana highlights in a personal um like essay so writing about her own experiences that was published in lenny.com mm. She said that for her, it's just about investing in like her own personal well-being and self-care because what often happens is, speaking as a black woman, you're doing a lot of work and you're often doing the work of others and you don't give yourself permission to rest. Right. Right. So she says how she is always afraid to ask for what she wants mm. because asking for what she wants will be interpreted as emotional 
aggressive that black woman trope essentially because she is a black woman you know if she yeah. if she wasn't a black woman then people would be like oh great assertive. she's assertive she's interesting yeah. so she says you know the reality of that perception of others is that you just like work yourself to the ground you never have that space to take a break you're worried if you do take a break you're going to be seen as lazy and now you're going to get fired yeah so she says that she just she just invests in herself so if any part of this story resonates with you then just make sure you are giving yourself space yo that brings this episode to a close i told you it was a deep one um if any of that resonated just follow us on the hashtag techish and just hit us up we always get back to people and yeah we'll catch you next week um with our normal news roundup i can't wait actually i want to talk about the jeff bezos thing that's a madness <laughs> and a shout out to our sponsors blocks like one tech for showing love to an independent podcast we appreciate that and that's it ciao